Well, it's official. We have our first sponsor, the kind people Shelter Brewery have gotten behind us and we couldn't be happier. If you're after a refreshing beer for after work to start your weekend, or in my case, after spending a ridiculous amount of time gardening, Shelter is the beer for you. If you happen to be in the southwest region, swing by the brewery which overlooks the famous Bustledon Foreshore and enjoy one off the wood, even grab yourself a decent feed with their amazing menu items. You can pick up a slab at most bottle shops, or if you prefer it delivered to your door, get onto their website, shelterbrewing.com.au, and browse the selection they have. Even grab yourself some sneaky merch whilst you're at it. Get around them, shelterbrewing.com.au. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 6 of the Matt and Mates podcast. This was a really fun one to do. I managed to get a good friend of mine, Paul Onofaro, to come in and chew the fat with us. Paul has some amazing stories to share from his life, which included living with a life-threatening heart condition, training and taking part in an organized boxing event, and an insight into his thoughts on men's mental health and what he's been doing to raise awareness for it. Unfortunately, we had a slight technical issue when recording this episode, as the usual mics decided to have a rest break, but luckily I had some backup ones on, which still allowed us to record and share this chat. I've been looking forward to sharing this episode. I hope you can all take something out of it as some of the topics we go over, both myself and Paul, are very passionate about. Thanks again, guys. Love you all and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. One, two, three, four. G'day and welcome to the Matt and Mates podcast. Join me as we share some stories from some old and new mates. Paul, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I know you're on your swing off, so nothing planned at this stage of machining? Uh, work. I um, run my own business, so work, gym, boxing. That's about my life. Thanks for coming. We'll call it there. <laughs> yeah, right. That's all I wanted you for. Nah, thanks heaps for doing this today, man. I know you've got quite a few good stories to run through, so looking forward to bringing these up and unpacking every single one of them. Yeah, if anyone knows all my good stories, it's you. Absolutely. We'll keep it relatively PG, but there may be a few moments, so that's why the little E will come up on this episode. <laughs> so let's just start off what I always like to do is just my first question just I do with every single person that comes on here. If you could go back to one moment in history to witness it with your own eyes, what would it be? Oh boy, that's a, that's a good one. One moment in history. I'm trying to think of something upbeat that'd be really cool to see. But for some reason, the first thing that popped into my head, and it's because I watched Oppenheimer a, a few months ago, I reckon it'd be pretty cool to see the first atomic bomb test. The first atomic bomb. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that would be pretty the, cool. The I test that they did in Nevada or wherever it was, like obviously yeah. behind all the protection, but seeing that, I reckon that would be like a life-changing experience. I don't know why that would be the first that was the first thing that popped into my head, but there we go. From a safe distance. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's go straight on to it. So you born and bred in Perth, am I correct? Yes. Mechanic by trade. Yeah. Heavy diesel or just normal? Just normal. Yeah. Light vehicle. Cool. And I've known you, I actually don't know how I met you. We've known each other for a handful of years. Yeah. It was through mutual friends or? I believe it was through Cutsy. Yeah. Because Cutsy used to go to Lutus when he wasn't a fat slob. Sorry, Cutsy, I do love you. 
And then he's yeah. a dad now. He's allowed to be. Yeah, he, he's been working on that dad bod for a while. Yeah, I met Scummy, and then I met you through Zach. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, probably the only time, like the first time I actually remember meeting you, would have been at Zach's grand final at the stadium. I remember yeah, going actually. to start, and that would have been one of the first times I yeah. remember you. Yeah. Yeah, I was with that time. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, sweet. And then obviously we've lived together. Yeah. yeah, and now here we are, moving trying trying to move into state away from you. To yeah, Shane stole you away from yeah. me, which I'm not happy about. Of course. Cool. So growing up, how was that? I don't know if I'm growing up. <laughs> yeah, growing up. Uh, I don't know. I think you know when when you're growing up, you think the world's against you. Looking back, I'm pretty lucky. I've got two very loving folks. Um, Dad, bit of a hard ass. You've met, you've met Connor. Yes, so, a good man. Angry little Italian man, and uh, obviously I ended up doing my apprenticeship with him, which is probably the hardest thing I ever had to do. And I disliked my father there for a while. High because, expectations, I'm sure. Yeah, and he was an angry man, and because I was living at home, I could never escape. It. But looking back at it now, it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. But yeah, growing up, uh, I was a skinny little runt, so. So not much has changed in that identity. Pretty much. Yeah. I just got taller. <laughs> I was always surrounded by cars and dad's racing and all that type of stuff and always wanted to play footy but was too skinny and just always into sports and, and yeah. So Is that where you got the passion for cars, your three year old man? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, growing up around the racetrack, one of one of my fondest memories is being at the racetrack and there's a fuel they run in the, the race cars. They're not allowed to use it anymore. It's Avgas, aviation fuel that they use in planes and that. And the burning smell of that is one of the best smells I've ever smelled in my life. And every time I smell that, it brings back so many, many memories of yeah, for me right. as a kid at the racetrack. And yeah, absolutely love it. Sweet. Good. Mm. That's all we want to run for. Oh, I don't know. Is it? <laughs> you growing up? Like... No, no, that's cool. And siblings, you've got, a, you've got a quite a few, am I right? Yeah, I've got a younger sister and then I've got an older brother and an older sister. They have a different dad to me, so I'm half sibling, but I'm still Kim. Close to my sisters. Yeah. Beautiful. Same age, you're like the same no, age no, group. No. So Sarah is four years younger than me, and Katie and Andrew are like 10 years older than me. Okay, so you're like smack bang in the middle then? Yeah. Cool. You're the favourite, though. So that's the favourite, yes, that would be right. And I'm aware of this, but you did have a few medical problems. As life went on, was this from a young age or was this later on in life? Yes, I was born with a heart condition. Me and yep. my younger sister were. Mine was called Tetralogy of Fellows. There's four, four things that come with that. I can't remember all four. One's like, yeah, anyway, there's four issues that you're born with defects. Yep. I had my first surgery when I think I was about three months old. So they were. They do a shunt, which is I like run the artery from your shoulder to your heart. So I've got a big scar on my right shoulder blade that looks like a shark bite, which is what I tell people. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then when I was 18 months old, I had my first open heart to patch the hole. So when I was a kid, it's like cry and cry and turn the little guys out. Fuck, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, not, my, not through a tantrum, just because of yeah, the actual condition. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bacon and putting it on. And then my last heart surgery was about six years ago now, I think. So, right, yeah. yeah. Is that an ongoing thing? 
Well, the last surgery they replaced the pulmonary valve with a four C with a pig's valve. Yeah. They sewed a ring into the tricuspid. So. so you have a pig's valve in you. Pig's valve can't eat bacon. I get the sweats and now with the porcine valve, obviously it's got a limited life. It all depends on, I guess, how you treat it. Two yearly checkups and it's fine, which is good because I keep quite active and fit. So eventually, I will need another surgery uh, to put a pig's valve in, which. Instead of having the open heart and opening the sternum up, they'll put it through the groin, pop it up there, blow it up. Eventually, you can only do that so many times before you get a mechanical valve, which okay. they have to go through the chest again, and you'd be on fitness for the rest of your life. I'm hoping that the way you know medical world advances, that by the time I need my next surgery, they'll be able to print a, a valve. Be ideal. Yeah, my last surgery actually, I upset mum. As you know, I think it probably be the worst thing for a parent is seeing a child go through something like that. And it was the day of the surgery, uh, double whammy. Actually, they have to you have to shave like your chest and your groin yep. region. They don't. You do it. They make the nurse do it. Oh, good. So yep. it's about six a.m. in the morning. The bloody the gown, nothing underneath, and the nurse is like, "I just need you to come in here and." put your foot up on this chair and I'm just going to have to shave your groin. And I was like, all right. I had to grab me junk and tuck it aside. <laughs> and it's one of those awkward moments you don't know what to do. So she's shaving my groin and I've kind of looked down at her and we kind of made eye contact and I was like, so how's your morning going? <laughs> she's like, are you serious? I was like, and then got to the bed and then we're sitting there for about half an hour in the staging area and they're like, all right, I'm going to wheel you through. And mum goes, just, you know, just be calm, Paul. Everything's going to be fine. And I was like, I don't care, Mum. Like, if something goes wrong, I'm going to be asleep. <laughs> Give anyone a tip that's going in for surgery, don't say that to your mum before you go in because, yeah, if the surgery wasn't going to kill me, she definitely would have. I can only imagine what Ruthless was saying yeah, about that. <laughs> Ruthless was not stoked. <laughs> but they almost did kill me. So they nicked my heart and opened my chest. Oh, wow. So um, they had to run the heart-lung bypass machine through my groin. I think they said I lost it. Like three pores of your blood or something like that. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you're still alive now, which is good. Yeah, exactly. Is it worrying knowing that you've got this for life? No. And that's a funny thing. A lot of people ask me about that, like, oh, you know, you're concerned. This has stopped you from doing anything. I think because I was born with it and it's all I've ever known, I honestly don't give two shits. Like, I think... It hasn't restricted you in any no. way? No. No. I mean, when I had my last surgery, it's because my heart had, like, enlarged and was working, like, overtime because the pulmonary valve just didn't exist. But it's all I've ever known. So it's hard to be worried or allow something like that to hold you back when it's all you've ever known. Yeah, it's been part of your life the whole time. I think if I was, like, now my age and then told I've all of a sudden got a heart condition, I think you would act differently. Yeah. But, you know, my thinking is we're all going to get to that point where... You stop breathing, your heart stops going, so there's no point, I guess, really stressing or worrying about it. Fair enough. You're the expert at it, I guess, right now. I wouldn't say <laughs> that. And your, your parents, was it hard for them to... Yeah, I guess you know, dad doesn't show much emotion, so um, <laughs> I think Ruthless would have been... I guess both of them would have been pretty, uh, pretty scared and worried about it all. I'm not too sure, I think... I think with me, I'm not sure if they knew while I was still in the womb or not long after. I think they did test straight away. But 
Yeah, it was funny how my first surgery came about my first open heart because no one in Australia was really doing it. And then some bloke flew over from America and I think he picked, I think it was like nine kids Australia-wide to right. do surgery on. And mum and dad just got a knock on the door one day and these people were like, hey, you want to start doing surgery and kick? So that was pretty pretty crazy. And then with Sarah, uh, I'm pretty sure they knew before the birth that there was an issue. And the funny thing is when, when a child is born, there's a hole in the heart and it closes over. Born. The, yeah. only, the only thing that saved Sarah was the fact that that hole didn't close over. She had multiple holes in the heart. One of the arteries pretty much didn't exist. Her condition was different from mine and, and slightly worse. She was very lucky. I still remember as a kid going over to Melbourne when she had her first operation, I think. So, yeah. I, guess. I imagine that would... Help you and your sister sort of have a bit of a bit more of a connection, knowing you've gone through something very similar. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're two very different people. I'm quite active, where she's more of a homebody introvert type. Thing. Yeah, but I think the thing that really brought us closer together as a family, and I guess being young, you, you kind of don't pick up on your emotions. You know, if something's happening to you, or if something's happening to your sister. Obviously, the thing that sticks in my mind most is my younger sister actually had a stroke Christmas Eve last year. Yes, I do remember you saying this. Yeah, and so um, that was the first time I can remember seeing Dad cry and, you know, Mum cry and me ball my eyes out. You know, pretty selfish my sister had a stroke on Christmas. But, yeah, I, that's probably the thing that brought us together the most and I still remember it and it still kind of gets to me and, you know, it still makes me quite emotional. I remember getting a call from mum on Christmas Eve and she was just like, oh, like, you know, your sister's, your sister's at her boyfriend's house. His name's Matt as well. And she's, yeah, she's fallen over and she's hit her head or something and she's not really responsive. And I was like, oh, okay, she probably just slipped and hit her head and just knocked herself out or something. And I was like, oh, just, just keep me posted. And then the next call was about, five or ten minutes later and then mum was like oh um yeah she's still like kind of drifting in and out they've called an ambulance and luckily where he lives up in the hills it's like one of those ambulance depots like five minutes down the road yep and um yeah they were there within about five minutes and and they got to the hospital in about 15 minutes in midland and then i got a call from mum and i can still hear it word from word she i answered the phone and all i can hear was crying on the other end um, and it was one of those most surreal feelings. And before she even mentioned a word, my initial thought was she's about to say Sarah's gone. Yeah. Which I don't wish that upon anyone. It's, um, it was the most surreal feeling and she was crying. And then she goes, um, I think she's had a massive stroke. Um, and they rushed her to Charlie Gardner's and she had surgery on arrival. They were prepped. And then we obviously waited there and then we got to see her when they wheeled her in and you know, she kind of was awake and looking at you, but she couldn't talk. Yeah. And they said they don't know the extent of it until she starts talking. So it was a pretty restless night. And then we went back in on Christmas Day and spent some time with her. And yeah, it was one of those things like she started talking, but she, you know, say if, you know, you and I are sitting here with that glass of water, I should look at that glass of water and she's like, can I please have... Wow, and was really? like, couldn't. She knew what she wanted to say, but she couldn't 
spit it out or she'd be like oh can i have that that plant and we're like what the plant and i want that plant and like and she'd be looking at it like you mean the glass of water and she's like yeah that's what i said and so the first couple of months it was like that she was real kind of slow to react and couldn't pick her words out and now she's now she's great like um, yeah well that's good yeah like yeah. if if you uh, didn't know she had a stroke you'd never you'd be aware was it something like it was always going to happen so they initially thought it was something to do with her heart because obviously we've both got the heart condition they thought it developed in her heart and went to her brain what it turned out to be was that she has a uh, blood clotting disorder so they never knew about that and then that coupled with the pill um, yeah it caused the cause of clot right so, so just a combination of things going on yeah yep and they don't know when this blood clotting disorders occurred they don't know if it was a side effect from the covid jab or anything so it just could have been yeah any any particular moment could have caused that to happen. yeah and i guess happening over christmas and there's never a great time it, to be honest it it was kind of the perfect scenario because when she lives at mum and dad's she doesn't get out of bed till about yeah. about 12 o'clock um and this happened about 7 a.m in the morning it was called a, a waking stroke so she woke up stood up had the stroke fell down she was at her boyfriend's house so he woke up and you know was there kind of immediately and could act if that happened yeah. that mum and dad's no one would have found no she would have she'd yeah, been dead that's insane to put it in that perspective yeah um but it just makes you appreciate not just your family but the people you have around you and it's oh 100 yes it's definitely uh, changed my outlook on we're all busy we're all tired but it's really changed my outlook on having time and energy for your friends and your family yeah 100 percent. obviously everything's good now sister's fine yeah she's still yep. fine yeah that's <laughs> she probably won't listen to this so i guarantee we should get away with that <laughs> one cool and then we go more on to your side with working in your life being a mechanic you mentioned earlier you've got your own business going on is this starting to build up a bit is this something you've always wanted to do yeah i was a bit lost as a young bloke not knowing what the hell i wanted to do all my teachers said the same thing i was incredibly smart <laughs> when i applied myself and stopped talking <laughs> like i was a straight a student up until like year 11 and then i actually had a social life and got some friends and then went downhill um growing up i wanted to be like a zoologist marine biologist all that type of stuff and actually yeah it's funny I'm, I'm weirdly good with animals like yeah i don't know why i know all oh, these not have picked that yeah um, and then i remember getting told at school like we had one of those career advisors come around and i said i want to do that and their exact words were like we well, can do that probably not going to get a job because there's not many in australia and i was like that's great. what you want to hear that's isn't great career advice so i think i worked at a pub for a while and i worked at ford and then yeah, my old man just came in one day. He's like, you're doing your apprenticeship. I was like, okay. I did my apprenticeship with dad. Again, as I said before, hardest thing I've ever had to do. And, um, you know, when you're young, you think the world's against you. And, like, you know, I thought my old man had it out for me. And yeah. Going home, I couldn't escape it. He was an angry bloke. <laughs> um, was that a hard combination with trying to switch off from the apprenticeship to just being your dad? There was no switching off. Right. It was, so it was just constantly on. It was constant. Yeah. And as I said, I, I probably deserved it, needed it and required it with my attitude. Uh, and it probably wasn't until about two and a half, three years into a four and a half year apprenticeship that I really started to appreciate what was going on. 
Mm. Yeah, my dad's not the best mate now. I love him a bit. And if I could be half the mechanic he is, I'd, I'd be extremely happy. He's absolutely incredible at what he does, you know, what he does behind the wheel of a car, whether he's racing or if he's fixing something. Like he's just so incredibly smart and driven. So, yeah, it was, it was really hard, but it set me up really well. As soon as I finished my apprenticeship, as Dad likes to say, as soon as you finish your apprenticeship, you go out to the real world. He's not there to wipe your ass anymore and hold your hand. So I went to Kmart Tyron Auto as a workshop manager, did that for a couple of years, then went to RAC as a service advisor, and then seconded into an area manager role. And But no, just working for a bigger company like that, obviously I learned a lot, but I just felt like I moved away from providing good service uh, companies like that. I feel like we're just after kind of the bottom line yeah. profit. And then I never would have imagined myself going into mining. I definitely didn't have the mental strength and capacity to do something like that. Growing up with a lot of self-confidence and self-worth issues, you know, the biggest fear is being away from your friends and family and going into mm, the other yeah. But bit the bullet and did mining and uh, I think I was up in the field for a year and a half, two years, and then my company put me as an operations coordinator in, in Perth, and then did that for about six months and kind of got hinted, headhunted by another mining company to take on two roles within their company, which I did for six months, and it was just, they, they were a smaller business growing, and I don't think they had any idea on how big these two roles were, and definitely there was no support. So it kind of went from, you know, just working your standard week to, you know, I'd go in at 6 a.m. and I'd be the first in the office, last out of the office, getting no support, yeah. asking for support and then having to be available and work weekends and uh, kind of burnt myself out and that didn't work out and we ended up uh, kind of going separate ways and it wasn't until after that occurred that it was like this weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Yeah. And it was just kind of realisation on how hard the, the six months had been and how much it was actually affecting um, my mental health. And then I took some time off and started you know, doing my business, which is, you know, in conjunction with mum and dad. It's almost the same business name. I do a lot of mobile work for them and that type of stuff. Yeah. Which was good. It allowed me a lot of freedom. The negative was I was earning bugger all money and I was barely surviving week to week. Yeah. So that added an additional stress and then trying to find a role that I could have that work-life balance was quite difficult. I knew the type of role I wanted, which was what I'd been doing previously, but because I was only in those roles for about six months, that experience really counted for nothing. Mm, yeah. So it was one of these things that kind of set me back a long way taking that role and even though I busted my ass and a lot, six months I had nothing to show for it and I said I'd never get back in the FIFO. And then... Yeah, we had a um, friend come into mum and dad's work and he mentioned something they were looking for mechanics up at up at site. He goes, give me your resume. And I didn't want to do it, but I did. You know, I was enjoying working in Perth, like spending a lot more time with my folks because their workshops up at their house. and But, yeah, money was really starting to become an issue. Yeah. And then, yeah, got a phone call saying that that mechanic role up at site had been taken, but they've got a position for a maintenance plan planner and they can see with the roles I've done previously you know they reckon I'd fit pretty well into it and I was like oh okay what's the roster and they said seven days on seven days off 
told me the figure, which was more than what I was getting paid on the two and one. So it was one of those things I was like, okay, just bite the bullet, short-term pain for long-term gain. So I took the role and, you know, I've been doing that for about five months now and, you know, paying bills off and, you know, have a small personal loan for God knows what reason and just paying that off. And I've worked out to keep why I'm going by, you know, mid-feb, I'm going to be debt-free and I can yeah. start looking at getting a house, which is which is great. I work with some good people. Um, yeah, I work with some good people and getting good experience in this role that could hopefully put me into different industries. I don't want to get stuck in mining. I want to be able, yeah, okay. to, I want to, be able to move into different industries, whether that's oil or gas or somewhere else. I mean, I'd love a role where it could take me international. Yeah. Um, just just trying to find little lateral movements in, in your career. It doesn't have to be a step forward. It could be a step back, but a step sideways and that type of stuff. And, you know, I recommend anyone should try mining, FIFO. It's, it's not for everybody. I know guys that have done it for about two or three days and pulled the pin. The first swing's always the hardest second and third swings get a bit easier and once you find your rhythm like when i go up there i've got two rules don't get involved with anybody as in women because it's mining is small and if you piss somebody off you know it doesn't take long to come back exactly and then don't get on the piss like i limit myself to two drinks the whole swing and that's usually the last night before we fly out i have two mixed drinks with the boys just to you know chat with them and build that rapport with them and then every night i'm there i, I train so yeah i like routine it's trying to keep that routine when yeah. i get back i guess it'd be pretty easy to keep a routine up there too yeah and look it's not just about the money you make but when i'm away i spend nothing because yeah. all the food you get like, i'm lucky the side i'm at the food's pretty decent you know and the rooms are yeah i'm in a single bed with a shit pillow but hey like you can sleep the gym's average but there's a gym like you just you save a lot in that week and it sets me up for the week i'm back i book in jobs and i book in all my training we've got a routine when i'm home and yeah like pros and cons it sucks being away from friends and family and trying to catch up and like yourself and you miss out on events and then obviously i got a puppy and when i didn't think i was going to do fifo i'm very lucky that our friend eliza my housemate looks after ruby and ruby gives her a hard time so i'm very lucky in that aspect but um yeah yeah that's good so is the goal still to funds to eventually have fun to run and put more effort into this the business of yourself or are you pretty dead set on now like this is the path i want to go down with mining yeah as i said i don't want to be stuck into mining i'd probably i would like to stick to mining till christmas next year if i can hold out at this place i'm surrounded by good people the thing about mining is it changes every three months at the moment we had a new company take over and you know we've had like 30 resignations and this and that and it ebbs and it flows i'd like to do it to end of next year it pays all my bills off gets good loan it gets me good experience the goal long term would be to then as i said laterally move into another industry that opens up more work around Australia or internationally. Not saying that I would move for it, but I want a role where if I met the person of my dreams and she was moving to a different country for work, I want to have that experience that I could get a well-paying job 
over there and still advance my career. Yeah, okay. I want to be able to have that. At the same time, yes, I'm going to build my business up. And my long-term goal for that is to initially get a small workshop where I can base myself out of and then have four utes running around Perth, so two mechanics, two auto sparkies. Yep. And build the business up that I don't have to be there. They're making yep. money for me. They're, they're going out, their mobile work, whether they're going up to mine sites and doing work for me or if they're going around Perth doing something for me. I want to have that business but still be able to advance my own career. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be tough and it will be a juggle. It's a dream. It's a good dream to have. It's a dream and I know it's a long-term thing and it's, you know, might not happen for five, ten years or whatever it is, but that's, I want a business where I, I guess the hardest thing is, and my dad's always told me, when you've got your own business, it's finding someone that will work hard for you that's trustworthy because you're never going to find someone that works as hard for your business as you do. 100%, yeah. But don't want to be a huge business. I want, you know, smaller numbers, but I want quality. I want to find good people. So you want to be more quality over quantity. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, I want to give them a good life, work-life balance and work hard for me. And then I've got that business there. While I'm still advancing my own career. Yeah. No, that's a good dream to have. I like that. Hopefully that comes fruition for you. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Also, I mean... The lotto tonight, 20 million, and then, well, that changes things. <laughs> you won't be working for a while. Cool. We touched on it briefly anyway, just regarding your health and that. I know you're a very passionate person when it comes towards your health in general. Mm. You're fit. Mm. Look at you. There's no cameras here, but take the compliment. I'll put my shirt back on. Yeah. <laughs> One of your recent passions, and this is probably only just over a year, I reckon, you've been doing this, is your boxing. Two yeah, it's been two years. years. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I'm having fun. Yeah. <laughs> and what I actually wanted to touch on with your boxing side is you actually got to be in an actual fight. Yeah. Yeah. Not a, a performance. <laughs> performance fight. It's, it was it was a whole event. I <laughs> performed, but yeah, I was in the ring. That's for sure. Walk us through that. So that was with one of those companies, and they just poached you saying, hey, do you want to get involved in this? Yes. As you said, obviously, I've um, always been in, into my fitness, you know, starting at school, loved playing footy, but could never play because I was too skinny and that type of stuff. And then I didn't start playing footy properly until I was 19. Absolutely loved footy. I tried MMA for a little bit there for about three months, but being a real nervous, anxious kid, I, I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, and I can see looking back at it now why, because it's very an individual sport and... The one thing I've noticed being in the ring, the last thing you want to do is be fighting yourself, mm, yeah. yourself. And back then it was just too much for me. And ended up just sticking with footy and that was hard enough, not doubting myself, but loved it. Loved that kind of team group mentality. Camaraderie. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. I mean, you're going to have dickheads no matter what club you go to, but I met some incredible people. And, you know, Swan Valley Footy Club was my first, um, first club and I haven't been there in years, but there's still people I chat to that yeah. a lot of respect for. And then obviously had my heart surgery. That put a little bit of a break on it and then went to Melville. This is my first year not playing footy. That feels bloody weird. Free weekends, to, which is great. Yeah, I gave it up to focus on boxing. So, yeah, I um, uh, a close friend of mine, I was chatting to her one day and she mentioned that she knows the owners of PCR, Perth Corporate Rumble, which is Glenn Austin and Nigel Groves, two, two great blokes. And the Perth Corporate Rumble is like a white-collar boxing event and they raise 
they raise funds for I think the charity is Asaba Rose, which is I think displaced families and that type of stuff. So it, it's it's an easy way to get into the ring and experience what it's like, and it's for a good cause. So she said to me, "Would you ever do it?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'd love to." I applied for it a few years ago because me mate Kimbo was in it, and we went and watched the fight night. She's like, "I'll, I'll give Nigel a message," and I was like, "Oh yeah, well, whatever." You know, people say, oh, "I'll give him a yeah. message." Give him a message. Felt like nothing was going to come. Yeah, up. and then um, she, I think it was like December sometime. I got a message from this number being like, "Hey mate, it's Nigel." You know, kind of mutual friend they said you'd be interested in pcr so i tried to give him a call and i think he was driving at the time and i messaged him and i was like yeah i'd be keen he's like sweet yeah send me an email sent him an email and yeah they're like yeah sweet you're in you're in the next one and that was going to be in february i believe it's like an eight week training camp and so we started december sometime or january end of december yeah start january something like that uh and you kind of don't understand how technical boxing is and you throw a punch and you think I'm not too bad until you're standing there with gloves on and someone's holding pads and you're trying to throw a combination you don't realize how much of an idiot it <laughs> and one of the, the trainers there Ben Keane he you know it's red team blue team and they train everyone for the first four weeks together and then after four weeks they split it and you go into your separate teams and I was with Nigel on the red team and, and Ben was one of the trainers and Ben and I hit it off straight away. It's probably one of the most emotional and mentally intelligent people I've, I've ever met. He's just, yeah, just a good human, just a great bloke. Um, so we hit it off and, yeah, it was it was interesting. I thought I was fit coming from footy and I'll tell you what, that's a different type of oh, fitness. Different, yeah. Oh, my God, it is incredible. I was like, yeah, I'm fit. No, not a thing. You get in that ring and you get punched in the head a couple of times. That's exhausting. And so did that and then, you know, had issues, but he popped my shoulder out and this and that. And But went into the fight night feeling pretty confident. I put in a lot of hard work and then got in there and the first round was okay, the first minute and a yeah. half. And then we kind of got told that you to expect an adrenaline dump. And mine hit me a minute 30 into the first round and I've never experienced anything like that. I had nothing, literally nothing. I mean, I've played in so many football games. I've played in, you know, a couple of grand finals. I've never experienced an adrenaline dump like that before. Right. I just had nothing. My legs turned to jelly. My arms, I just, they were just on my head the whole time, up in the guard. I yeah. couldn't throw. I just had nothing. And the bloke I was fighting, Jimmy, he was... Yeah, real handy, real handy boxer. And yeah, he just knocked me about for the next two rounds. <laughs> and I was ex- yeah, I was extremely disappointed in myself. And you've got no one else to blame. That's, that's the thing about a sport like that. You know, at the end of the day, your trainer and your coach and whatnot can only do so much. They give you're you as much advice there. as they can, but you're the one out there. Yeah. And, you know, my mentality ever, you know, Obviously, I've been doing strength conditioning for a long, long time at Ludus Sports Performance with Ryan Garris and Tom Newman, and they're bloody incredible. And, you know, things that they taught me was you got to take small wins because I'm such a perfectionist that even if I did something well or hit a PR on my lift, I'd always be like, no, nah, I could do better. No, nah, I want this. Mm, and they're, like, yeah. they're like, you've got to take the small wins. And it took me ages to to really comprehend that, put that into action. And my initial thought after losing that fight was not that I lost, but it was the performance. 
I was like, okay, like, yeah. I just wasted everyone's time. And the fight got, um, the whole event got pushed back because COVID hit. We're supposed to fight in February. We didn't end up fighting until September. So we had all that extra time and I didn't stop training. And I was like, I've just wasted everyone's time with how I performed. It was trash. And I was disappointed. Went up to my room and I had a cry. And I was up there for about an hour and a half. And, you know, at these events, you know, I had like 20 friends at tables. Yeah. And they're like, you're coming down, you're coming down. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, I've let my friends down, I've let Ben down, I've let the whole red team down. I had a shower, had a cry, pulled myself together, went down there and, you know, I had my friends going, man, that was, that was incredible. I could never have done that. Like, that was fucking Yeah, but mate, it's not so much the performance. It's the fact that you had the guts to exactly. put that effort into doing it. Exactly. And that's, that, that is what kind of brought me back. And I was like... Fuck, I, I did step in there and I yeah. did performance on, but you know what? I did it. And the next time will be easier. And that was on a Saturday night, Tuesday, I, Monday, I messaged Ben. And I was like, I want a session. Like, get me a session. Let's go. So Tuesday, we did one on one with Ben, a PT session. And then he's like, man, you fought Saturday and you're straight back into it. I was like, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't happy. And I learned more from that loss than I reckon I ever would winning that fight. And then I've just fell in love with it. And as I said, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. But one thing I've realised with boxing, you're never perfect. No matter how hard you try, you know, some of you watch, you know, like Terence Crawford or Canelo Alvarez, all that, like they put on incredible performances, but you can never be perfect. Mm. And then, yeah, obviously gave up footy to focus on boxing. And it's weird. You feel like you plateau plateau a lot with your boxing skills and, and you're like, I'm not getting any better on some of these things. And all of a sudden, one session can change everything. And that was me probably about six months ago, this one session that just changed everything for me. And a lot of things that I was working on came into fruition. So in training with Ben at Good Vibes Boxing, and as I said, he's an incredible person, incredible coach. And then I've just started going down to Ring Fit, which is like a more of a fight gym. So I'm training with Dan Rogers there, and he's, he's a great coach as well. Uh, so all going well. I'll be in the ring in about February, March. And because I'm over 30 now, I classify for some of the Masters competitions as well. So I can fight amateurs and I can fight Masters. And there's a National Masters comp happening in Alice Springs early next year. Okay. Um, and one of the coaches at Ring Fit said he'd love to take me next year if I can keep this up. So got a bit of an injury at the moment, my wrists, which I'm working towards. but. Yeah, all going well. I'll be in the ring February, March. So the next few months are going to be a lot of boxing, a lot of getting that yeah. conditioning up. And I've always struggled with my weight. I've always been a skinny bloke, as you mentioned before. And that's probably one thing that I've that's helped me at FIFO. As I'm sitting at a desk, I'm eating like five or six meals a day and I'm training every day and I've put on seven kilos in like 12 weeks. So I'm sitting at 80 now. And it just feels really comfortable. So... Do you feel heavier? I don't know if I feel heavier, but I feel more comfortable and I feel more solid okay, in the body. that's good, yeah. Yeah, I, like I can still jump and run like the wind, <laughs> but I definitely feel a lot more solid, a lot more comfortable. I'd like to put on a couple more kilos, but um, yeah, look, boxing is incredible, and then next year I'm getting into motor racing as well. Obviously, Dan does it. Yeah. I've done a couple of races, and it's probably the one thing – out of any sport I've ever done, anything I've ever attempted to, not even just sport, but, you know, like career-wise or anything, it's the one thing that 
tried to do and it feels natural. I did a race down south with my dad, which has always been my dream to race with dad and you race in a team. And I was so nervous because it was his car. I was like, fucking, I want to crash his car. I was so nervous twice sat in the seat and then everything just went away and I just felt so calm, so calculated. And I actually compare it a lot to boxing. Boxing isn't just bashing the guy in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's out thinking yep. him. It's out playing him. Whether you're going to out muscle him, you're out going to think him, you know, whatever it is. That's the same with racing. Racing, it's not just, I've oh, got the fastest car, I'm going to get past you. Because we race minis and they're not as quick in a straight line as some of the bigger cars, but you're quicker around corners. It's actually a mental battle. So I'm going to follow this guy and I'm going to push him deeper. Where so is, you're where, thinking of the next step. Basically. Where are his weaknesses? Where are his weaknesses? Okay, I can get him here, but he's going to get me here. So then you start working on him, you start working on him, you start working on him, and then they make a mistake, and then you know, boom, run through. It's the same with boxing. You keep working on him and working on him and working on him until you figure him out and you figure out where your strength is and you use that. Yeah, it's, as I said, boxing isn't just bashing someone in the head. It's super technical, super technical. You yeah. think your way through it. I don't think I could do it, mate. You've, you've definitely got something on we'll me. We'll get you in there. One day, one day. I'm actually thinking more tight. Well, actually, in a few years, once I've done a fair bit of boxing, I want to get into Muay Thai because I want to be able to use my legs and stuff mm. as well. So. I'm liking it more for the fitness side, but I'd love to sort of learn that. Pretty cool to be able to learn the kicking style and all of that too. i tell you one, the most painful thing you can ever do. Like, I get punched in the head. It actually doesn't hurt as what people think. It's more of a thud. And you might get a bit shaken up. Body shots hurt. Worst pain I've ever experienced when I was doing MMA for that very short time was getting kicked in the leg. I'd rather get punched in the head every day of my life <laughs> than take a, a leg kick. Man, those MMA like, oh, I love boxing. If you get in a street fight and you're getting in a fight with someone that knows MMA and their quality level, you're getting your ass kicked. They're going to kick the shit out of the legs. They're going to put you on the ground. They're going to choke you out. That's, yeah. It's next level shit. Oh, it's incredible. No, cool. Next, just just to brush on the um, car stuff. So is that something that you still want to do a bit more of, the racing side with your old man? Yeah, so we've got a – Dad's got his race car and we've got another car that we're turning into my race car. And if he listens to this, he's going to laugh because we've got a roll cage for the car and I've got to polish it because it's got to be shiny before it goes in apparently and it's one of the most boring jobs you get to fucking think of. Putting an engine together or putting a car together, you can you know, like, oh, this is sick. Polishing a roll cage. I think it's been sitting there for about nine months now. And I'm just going to polish this roll cage. I may be like halfway through. And every time I'm back from work, I'm like, I'm going to polish this roll cage. And I never do. And every time I go in, Dad's like, you got a fucking car sitting there. You could be out racing. You need to polish that bloody roll cage. And I'll be out there next year. No excuses. You heard it here. This is, this will be published. So you, you've called it now. <laughs> Sweet. So big plans. That's what we'd like to hear. Yeah. Cool. Aim for the aim for the stars, mate. Exactly. The other like thing I want to touch on too is you've become a bit of a model as well. Boy. You and you and a good friend and Kane. You guys brought out a bit of a calendar a couple of years ago now. I think there's been two two versions of it now. Yep. Yep. And just well for one, what brought on the calendar? And two, like, where's this going? Is it something that's just going to keep rolling on year by year? So the calendar idea started when I was FIFO the first time. I was up at a Rio site as an LV mechanic and met this bloke called Kane Oldham. Uh, he's got 
long curly hair and he reminds me of what's that rugby player that oh the honey badger yeah yep. he speaks exactly like the honey badger <laughs> anyway me and him hit it off he lives down the margaret river plays footy and you know every night we'd be at the gym or run around the oval or kicking the footy or something like that and we just hit it off and i was there for about three and a half months and obviously you take snapchats and instagram and all that type of stuff and it was always me and kane and my stories and then i was leaving i got promoted to the operations coordinator in, in perth and so as a little joke me and kane took a couple of cute little couple photos because we we're joking that he was my work wife put them up on instagram and then someone commented oh when's the calendar coming out and me and him were chatting on the phone not long after that and i was like did you see that comment about the calendar and he was like yeah i was like we should do a calendar as a piss take and he's like yeah right and i was like actually because you know i've I've had a lot of dealings with mental health and my own struggles and it's something that I'm very passionate about and so is so is Kane. You know, Kane lost lost his mother to cancer and you know, that's something we bonded on was that mental health side of things. And I said, Well, how about we do a do a calendar and raise awareness for men's mental health? And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm down. And it was just one of those things. And for the next three months we should we were like, Oh, let's do a calendar, let's do a calendar, you know. And then yeah, three months went by and I was like, fuck it, let's actually do this calendar. So we came up with some ideas and the ideas were what are things that men don't usually do? So the photos and of course they, they were gold, I loved them. Of course we're new. Yeah. Okay, I'm not gonna hide that. It had to be. And I knew a photographer. She doesn't do any type of photography of that type of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think she does babies and stuff. But I gave her a message, I was like, Hey, look, this is gonna sound super weird, man and mate. We're wanting to do like a nude calendar for mental health, are you keen? And I think before I'd even send sent the message, I got a reply back saying, yeah, she's like, I'm so down to this. <laughs> so we, we did it at her house and then some at Dad's workshop and, you know, the photos were from us having a bubble bath together and that was one of the ones we like, we could have kept our underwear on because our lower half's below the waterline, but we'll start naked. You know, I was putting shampoo in his hair and, oh, just some great cracking shot we're doing the laundry naked and that type of stuff yeah so we've got all our bits covered but yeah it was just it was a laugh and then we did the calendar and we're like shit we're gonna find a charity that we're gonna raise money for that was probably one of the first things we should have done so i put a, a photo up on um instagram and said hey if anyone's got a good charity you can recommend let us know someone said men's talk and so we got in contact with paul from men's talk told him the idea like we've got a calendar here and he's like oh yeah look we've got a lot going on just you know send me a, a copy and i'll get back to you he got back to me the next day and he's like mate i just saw your calendar and we all sat down and had a look and we just pissed ourselves laughing it's like, incredible so yeah uh when raising three thousand dollars that's good yeah yeah and then obviously men's talk were like hey do you want to do another one it's our idea, so like, yeah, okay. So decided to get more people involved. I tried to get you in, but you got scared and ran away to all the yeah. <laughs> um, so we got a, I, I did offer to get on with the croc, but... Well, I'm still waiting for that photo. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's coming, it's coming. So we did a second one, and I got some blokes from boxing, some blokes from footy, and, and yeah, we did another one, and the second one raised six and a half grand. Jeez, so, Yeah, got to thank the boys and and uh, Kate Hedges at Future Proof, she did all the marketing and put all the calendar together. And without like, this would have just been, well, at the start, it would have been two dudes taking photos of each other for no reason. Like, 
yeah, this calendar wouldn't have been a thing without Kate. Uh, is there going to be a third one? Look, not this year. I think the last one um, probably didn't get too much assistance from people marketing for this one from the charity and, and that type of stuff. Obviously, it is a year for a lot of people, so it's kind of left up to me and, you know, trying to start a business and then sell this calendar and then send yeah. everything out. It was, you know, it was so draining. It's another job. So it was in like, you know, obviously not getting paid for it. It's not about the money. It was just so challenging and so draining. And I'd love to do another one, but it's not going to be this year. I've got so many great ideas for it. But it was just nice to obviously raise money and awareness for something that I hold really close. And, you know, when my last relationship ended, I wasn't happy with who I was, how I'd act with things, think about things, things I was doing. I bit the bullet and went and saw a counsellor, which is, again, one of the hardest things I've done. But if I could pinpoint a time in my life where I guess it was a life-changing moment, that would be one of them. And, you know, you and I had a lot of chats about mental health. And the more I found I talked about it and then started telling my friends I was seeing a counsellor, which is scary again, you know, it's it's the judgment that you see yeah, and the guy mentality of like oh, I just get even though you know your mates it all be yeah like I I saw one myself for a few months yeah but it's just one of those things that you think oh I feel weak doing this yeah even though you're going through a period of time in your life where things aren't great it completely shit us yeah and I found the more I talked about it the more my mates around me started talking about it and how they were experiencing the same things and it was just incredible how much it opened up other people by just me speaking it yeah and like yeah i haven't seen my counselor in a couple of months now but i want to book in a session and it's just it's just nice to have that someone removed that you can just bounce stuff off yeah and my counselor michelle is incredible she's she's a lovely lady and it's as i said it's life-changing it's not just changed my relationship with myself it's changed my relationship with the people around me as well you understand the struggle that it's not just you, it's everyone else is going through those yeah, same things. It's, it's, I saw a video the other day which is it kind of stuck with me and it's, um, you know, there's highs and lows, but people always just want to be, they're like, oh, we want to be consistent. Yeah. We want to be consistent. And the video is explaining it like a line on a heart rate monitor. When you're up and then it's down and yeah. it's up and it's down. And you don't want to be consistent. That's a flat line that's dead. And the way they explained it was, you can't appreciate your high times without low times. Yeah. So when you're up, you appreciate where you've come from, that low time where you come from. And when you're down, you appreciate the good times you've had. So it's that up and down. And if it was just constant, you never appreciate. No, you'd just be in the same. Exactly. Same you never appreciate the good or the low times. It's all a learning curve. And, you know, I'd wake up some days and I'd be, you know, you just wake up and you just don't feel right. No. You're yeah. just pissed off for no apparent reason you're upset for no apparent reason and that wouldn't be a day for me that'd be a week and i couldn't get out of it no matter what i did and i was an unhappy person and i treated people like shit treat myself like shit and now it's i don't have those days you're never going to get rid of them completely the waves get smaller and i wake up and like i'm not feeling good today why am i not feeling good so you're more aware of it you're aware of it like it's okay it's okay and it's like okay that's fair what can I do for this? So I'm like, you know, I'm going to go walk the dog. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to make sure I eat well today. I'm going to go for a cold dip. Little wins and within a couple of hours or half a day, you're like, that's all it takes. Yeah. 
hundred percent. I, I honestly remember it was only a few years ago. I was in a very bad place and I actually, for some, some reason you and me started hanging out a lot more mm. and that even though I was going through a bad time, you all of a sudden, like all, all your mates are there to support you anyway, but I was relatively closed off to a lot of people and you would just simply click me a message every now and then. Do you want to go for a drink? Do you want to go hang out, dinner, anything like that? And those little things made a huge difference. And those bad days, even though, let's say, one day in the week would be terrible, all of a sudden, oh, sorry, one day in the week would be good, six days would be bad, all of a sudden, more days became better. And it was just those little things you mentioned, those little wins, they started to add up over time. And honestly, I look back to that now going, I'm so thankful for you and all my mates that supported me throughout that because i'm now doing something like right now you're me having this chat i didn't think i'd do that three years ago from where where my head was at so i'm so thankful for yourself all my mates that even listen to this support me through absolutely everything it's it's got me to where i am now and i'm probably the and honestly the last two years of my life year and a half of my life has been the best it's ever been and i'm hoping it still keeps on going from there and those going back to those little messages like what i found is People will talk in their own time. You don't have to force it. And I, yeah. I remember when I was having bad times, I didn't feel like I could talk to my parents. And every time I saw mum, she'd be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Something's wrong. Talk, talk to me. Talk to me. And I don't want to fucking talk. I love me, folks. And like, I'd have friends like that. Like, oh, what's mm. wrong? What's wrong? Just get over it. Get over it. Like, talk about it. Sometimes you don't want to talk. The amount of times I've got messages from like you or Rick or Tommy or Mark or Murray just being like, hey, man, how are you? Or just a quick phone call. Hey, are you okay? And I burst out crying because just that little message, you know, isn't like, doesn't force you to talk. It's just making you realize that people care about 100%, you. 100%, yeah. And those little messages are fucking lifesavers. Yeah. And whoever's listening, get onto the Norwich Football Club in the UK. They put up a video of raising awareness for mental health. And it's a video of two blokes, two good mates watching soccer together and one's super happy and chatty and the other one looks depressed and yeah. talking and whatnot. And you get to the end of the video and only one of them rocks up because the other one's actually taken their twist. life. Yeah. And there's a twist that you would not expect and it just makes you realise that even if someone's happy and laughing and chatty and seems everything going on, you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. Message your mates. Tell them yeah. that you love them. Like, I fucking tell you all the time, I love you, mate. Just that quick message being like, hey, mate, how are you? I love you. Yeah, it's just, it's saved many moments, for sure. Yeah, and it doesn't, and even if there's no response or anything like that, it's just, like, I I honestly remember we we obviously lived together. We could just lay in the same room with each other if we knew that one of us was down. We could just lay there, not even say a word to each other. But it was just the fact that you were there. I'm pretty sure Eliza's got plenty of photos and videos oh, of us lying in bed holding hands <laughs> and shit. I've still got four photos of you above my bed there. It's got your legs That's... saying L-O-V-E, love, and I'll never take I'm that Still down. waiting for that to be framed, but we'll just... We need a frame. It's starting to curl up and I'll have people over and they're like, what are you doing? Not doing the splits on the wall. Don't there anymore. Yeah, I'm like, don't you talk about Matt like that. All right, yeah. Honestly, yeah, this this chat, it's, it was great. It went exactly the way I wanted it to. Paul, thank you very much. I played it perfectly. I made sure I drew it out as long as possible you so did. you couldn't bring up any of my embarrassing oh, stories. Geez. Well, luckily, if this takes <laughs> off, I'll wait till the second next episode. season. Yep. Yeah, second episode is just me getting roasted. Uh, straight. There'll be more people involved that time too. <laughs>
thanks so much for today, mate. I really, really cannot thank you enough. I know it's a week off and you need to go about your day, but thanks so much. And I know we are already mates, but you're officially a mate of the Matt and Mates podcast. Oh, I've, I've hit the big time now. Yes. No, look, mate, I've, I've been excited to come on here and just not just talk shit, but, you know, spend time with you as a mate. And um, I'm proud of you for doing this, man. Thanks, mate. Yeah. This is good. And for people wondering, we would actually probably just talk like this in person too. Yeah, this is actually <laughs> just us talking normally. Yeah, in a way. We're probably roasting each other a bit yeah, more. Yeah, a little bit more. <laughs> probably a little bit more holding hands and kissing each other. But... Anyway, well, that's enough. <laughs> so, Chad. so thanks for coming in and now get out of my house. Yeah, see you later. It's <laughs> my dog. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Matt and Mates podcast. If you enjoyed the show and feeling generous, you can like, follow or subscribe on our socials and whatever platform you're listening on. And for those wanting to go that bit further, you can leave a review and share with your friends and family as well. If you have any recommendations on guests, give feedback or advertise on the pod, flick an email to contact at mattandmates.com.au. Stay tuned for the next episode when it drops. And as always, I love you all. Well, it's official. We have our first sponsor, the kind people Shelter Brewery have gotten behind us and we couldn't be happier. If you're after a refreshing beer for after work to start your weekend, or in my case, after spending a ridiculous amount of time gardening, Shelter is the beer for you. If you happen to be in the southwest region, swing by the brewery which overlooks the famous Bustledon Foreshore and enjoy one off the wood, even grab yourself a decent feed with their amazing menu items. You can pick up a slab at most bottle shops or if you prefer it delivered to your door, get onto their website shelterbrewing.com.au and browse the selection they have. Even grab yourself some sneaky merch whilst you're at it. Get around them shelterbrewing.com.au.